There are two messages I want to share with you this morning. The first one's a little more personal. Wednesday before lunch, I was talking to Mike and Laura Hairston and the passing of Mike's father. A good conversation, and then lunch and after lunch, at the end I received a message. A message from Shirley Springfield that her mother had died, and at the very same time, a message from Elizabeth Johnston about Dudley, who was at the hospital and had a heart attack. A few hours later, as Bible study was approaching, I received another message that Glenn Fuller was taken back to the hospital. He had already been there for three weeks and had just been home for a few days. My heart was breaking for these families and so many others who've experienced such hard times in these last weeks. And my mind, my mind was thinking, Lord, not again. Well, in those few hours between messages, I was meeting with Vanessa and Jane going over our conference statistics. Each January, we put together statistics for the previous year that's required by the conference for our membership and for our financial matters. Did y'all know that last year we had 27 deaths? And that doesn't include three deaths this month. And that doesn't include all the very many deaths of family who are not members of the church. It was overwhelming. I acknowledge that for you, for our community, for us. I was so glad that Bible study was that night. For a Bible study has been on listening to the voice of God, that, that whisper, specifically the whispering spot, and, and talking about finding the time, space, and place in which we encounter the very presence of God. And in its irony, I guess, that in the preparation of that study was a quiet, still moment for me where I could hear God's voice and I could feel God's presence. It was a Sabbath moment for me. Now I know Sabbath is not on Wednesday night, but I think we're all in desperate need for those very special moments in which we encounter God's presence. And that was one for me. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Where does that come from? Deuteronomy? What specifically? The Ten Commandments. It's the Fifth Commandment. It's the last of those commandments that talks about our relationship with God before the transition that goes into the, those commandments about our relationship with others. But also remember Jesus' words. The Sabbath was made for man or humankind, 
not man for the Sabbath. Let's pray. Gracious and holy God, as we gather this morning, as we continue our journey with you, as we learned how you called your disciples and prepared for this ministry, and, and Lord, it, 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 uh, it, it hits full force today. We recognize our desperate need, too, for moments and of assurance that your very presence is with us and with many who are hurting and grieving today. So, Lord, as we come to hear your word, as we come to continue our journey, as we come, Lord, this morning to reflect on where we are, And what hinders us? Lord, may we be open to the transformative power of your word that you may speak to us once again today. In your son's precious name I pray. Amen. So today is the fourth week in our journey with Jesus. Remember the Sabbath. You've probably been there. You've been traveling a while, right? So you've been hanging out with the kids in the car or you've been making lots of little stops onto your destination or maybe your destination is not one place and it's several stops and finally you just need to stop. You just need to take a break. You need to refuel. And I'm not just talking about the car. Ten years ago, we had a phenomenal experience. It was a minister exchange in England where we spent six weeks. We drove their cars, we lived in their house, we served the churches they served, and they came here and lived in our house and drove our cars and served the church I was serving. At the end of that experience, we decided to spend a few days in Paris. We were close enough. Would you say there are a few things to see in Paris of, of what we know? Especially with, I think it's a five and seven year old, six and eight or five and seven, I believe they were five and seven. You know what one of my distinct memories from Paris is? Is a day that we had to stop and the kids just played in the grass, they ate ice cream and they pushed these little mini boats around the fountains in the center of town. It's one memory that has stayed with me. You know, in our journey with Jesus and these weeks we've been through, I invite us to remember where we have been. That on the first Sunday in this series, we experienced Jesus' baptism and the preparation for his ministry and the identity that came from it. On the next week, we heard the invitation to come and see the one who's leading this journey. And then last week we heard the call, the call to come follow Christ and be one of his disciples. We looked at characteristics of fishermen like characteristics of disciples. Perseverance, courage, timing, knowledge. And then we were faced with the same questions that the disciples were faced with. 
Are we really, really willing to go, to leave everything behind, to follow, and to follow Christ immediately? Today we experience the Sabbath with Jesus. Remember the Sabbath. But perhaps, perhaps what we are called to remember is different than what you might think this morning. So join me. Join me in our gospel lesson as we continue through the book of Mark. It's Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. I hope you'll follow along this morning and keep your Bibles open for later. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking each other, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of God for us, the children of God. Thanks be to God. Jesus' ministry is the inaugural event of the forthcoming of the kingdom of God. Jesus' ministry is the inaugural event of the forthcoming of the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus' ministry ushers in the reality of God's kingdom. Remember? Remember John the Baptist's own words? you got your Bible open, I hope you do. I'm going to be referring to several. Look back at verse 7 in chapter 1. One more powerful than I is coming after me. Now, I don't th- know about you, but in thinking about a journey, I'm usually thinking more of something fun, something exciting, something experienced, something adventuresome, something relaxing, something away. But for Jesus... I think his mission and purpose in his journey is different. And Mark, today, as he's been doing, gives us some hints on what that looks like. We've been traveling through this first chapter of Mark, but there were two verses that I skipped that I bring us back to today. So again, I invite you to look at verses 14 and 15. Now after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent 
and believe in the good news. What is Jesus' mission and purpose? What does his ministry symbolize? What is this journey all about? Three words. Kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And along the way, he invites others to come and meet him and see him and follow him and become his disciples and be equipped Equipped with the message and ways of the kingdom. Let's look at the first verse for today, verse 21. What city does Jesus enter? Capernaum, and what does he do on the Sabbath? He goes to the synagogue and he worships and teaches. And how do the people respond? Woo! Astounded, astonished, right? Why is that? Because he teaches with authority. Different than the scribes, Jesus enters the synagogue on the Sabbath at Capernaum and astonishes the crowd with the authority of his teaching. But this teaching's in conflict with the scribes. You remember the scribes? They're the experts in interpreting the law. They're the ones who teach in the synagogues. They're the ones who have authority on the law. The scribes are disturbed by the challenges that Jesus' teachings are bringing to their traditions. But for the crowd, for those who are listening, man, Jesus is a breath of fresh air. And for his disciples, his teaching equips them with the message and the ways of the kingdom. What better place to do that than in the church? I think it's helpful to point out some of the differences or distinctivenesses of the synagogues and churches because we think of that in our modern day understanding of church. A synagogue focused on three things. Prayer, the reading of scripture, and the teaching, the interpretation the application of that scripture. Prayer, reading of scripture, and the teaching of that scripture. There was no music. There was no singing. There was no sacrifice. Where did those take place? At the temple. So here's a question. Do you think there are more synagogues or more temples? Synagogues. There are a lot more synagogues where, where ten families, Jewish families were, there was supposed to be a synagogue. But synagogues normally didn't have a permanent teacher. So some of the officials, or one of the officials, was in charge of finding someone to teach for that week. Some competent person. And they heard that Jesus was in town, and he's a pretty competent person. And he had a pretty good message, a new message actually, a new revelation. But Jesus was not one who taught like the scribes and the legalism of the Torah in which they were proponents of. Jesus had something else different, too. Jesus had, as Barclay says, personal authority. Personal authority. He needed no authority beyond himself. His word was powerful 
and sufficient. And we see an example of that. We see a, a live example of that in today's scripture in the healing of the demon-possessed man. The crowd is overwhelmed with astonishment and a man's life is transformed by the spoken word of Jesus. Not by the specific words, but by the authority that those words had. We've experienced that authority. We've experienced that power of his words. Right? He called some men who were fishing with family and they left their possessions and their family and they immediately because Jesus spoke, followed him. But it's interesting as we look at the scripture today again in verse 25 that the demon also obeyed Jesus right away. Look at verses 25 and 26. But Jesus rebuked the demon saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. The Jews believed strongly in demons. Their origin is debated whether it came, they came from creation or they came from fallen angels or perhaps from a former wicked person. It was not whether they believed in them, they did, and it was not unusual to see an exorcism. Not really common, but not totally unusual. The difference in these other exorcisms is, is that they were a big deal. They were pomps and circumstance. They were an event that was an elaborate ceremony that had magic spells. But Jesus and his exorcism called the demon out with just a few words. Be silent and come out of him. And you know what the demon did? He got out. But what else do we learn? What else do we learn from the demon? Look at verse 24. Who does the demon say that Jesus is? The Holy One of God. The demon gets who Jesus is. But who doesn't? The crowd. They're astonished. They're amazed. They're wowed, but they're not changed. The stop, this stop in Jesus' journey, is a visible and tangible sign that the demon's dominion is decreasing. That the evil age is going out and the kingdom of God is being ushered. In. This teaching on this Sabbath is a Sabbath to remember. Remember the Alamo, a battle cry for a Texan struggling for independence from Mexico. Remember the Sabbath that in the cry of the man being rid of a demon by Jesus at the synagogue in Capernaum. Remember when Jesus spoke with authority. Remember. And things from then on were different. Jesus' ministry is the inaugural event of the forthcoming 
of the kingdom of God. Let us remember the Sabbath on which this happened. For Jesus the Lord has come to redeem. The power of Satan, uh, demons, evil, whatever names we call it, and all which are believed in is being broken. And guess who tells us that? The demon itself. Look again at verse 24. The demon says to Jesus, Have you come to destroy us? One more sign that we see today that Jesus really is the Holy One of God. You and I get to see that as a reader. A reader of the Scriptures. A, a reader who knows what happens before and what happens after. But for those who are experiencing it for themselves at the synagogue in Capernaum who are just observers, for them, maybe they don't get it. It's not the first time. Earlier in chapter 1 in verse 11, we see God's own words at Jesus' baptisms, that you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. I imagine the people who saw and experienced and observed that were pretty amazed and astonished too. But the amazement of the people who witnessed the immediate exorcism of the demon-possessed man does not automatically translate into belief. Will they believe in his authority? Will they decide to follow Jesus? Will you? Will I? Let me be a little more personal with you on this story. Where are you in your own journey with Jesus? Are you a reader? Kind of, knowing the whole story? Are you an observer and what's happening at the moment? Are you one who's amazed at what Jesus can do? Are you also a believer, a follower, a disciple? Do we believe in his authority and the power of his word? And will we follow him and help make the kingdom of God a greater reality around us? There's one more question. A question that I rephrase in a way that Kevin put it at the beginning of the service. What is it perhaps that you need God to help you get rid of, and if I could even say exercise out of, that prohibits you from being a follower of Christ? Remember when our children played in the grass and ate ice cream and 
push the little boats around. Remember the trip when we experienced, you fill in the blank. Remember the Sabbath when Jesus taught in the synagogue and healed the demon-possessed man. That was right after we were called to follow him. That is when we began to experience what Jesus' mission was and what the kingdom of God was all about. That memory reminds me in heavy times such as we are going through now that God is in control. That he has authority and power over evil. And that I need to find the space and place and time to listen for what God is trying to tell me, for what word he is offering, and for how he is calling me to trust him and follow him and join him in making the kingdom of God a reality. So I confess to you that today I'm not at rest, but I am at peace. Yo 